Mora conducts physician-led support groups, helping people live healthier, happier lives, free from chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And on our podcast, Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus, we bring to you nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests to empower and inspire you with their knowledge and stories of plant-based lifestyle so that you can be your healthiest self. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus. And today I'm really eager for you guys to listen to my next guest, Suzanne Harris. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Marbus. Well, please call me Lori. Um, Okay. Really, uh, we've met before and had a great conversation, but you are actually addressing one of the most difficult things for people to quit. And that really is a pillar of lifestyle medicine. It's regarding stopping smoking. And I, I would, I'm really excited to talk about it because it's not a resource that, you know, we've talked a lot about on the podcast, but I think it's an important one. And so maybe you could give us a little history about yourself and, um, what led you to building, you know, the learning to quit program and the book and everything? All right, I'd be glad to. Um, I'm a registered nurse and I used to work for San Francisco General Hospital here in San Francisco. I worked in the adult outpatient medical clinic and the chest clinic. And I should also say I'm a former smoker. Um, But when I was working in those medical settings, I would say even the majority of the people that I saw were smokers, especially in the chest clinic, and they were there for breathing problems, but there were no services for how do you deal with stopping smoking? So I got interested in that and began to develop a program and uh, worked with patients in medical settings, and it was a successful program. It was at that time, many, many more people smoked. So I would get 20 or 30 people in a group. And in the chest clinic, I worked with a physician, Dr. Paul Brunetta, who really liked what I was doing with smokers. One of his areas of focus, he was a fellow at the time, and he was really interested in lung cancer. So when he moved back over to UCSF Medical Center, he invited me to come there and start a center with him. Um, That was in 1999. We called it the Tobacco Education Center and we started getting patients from UC Medical Center. Um, I think it was maybe 2001, a woman came into the program named Jeannie Fontana And she was somebody who had a number of smoking-related illnesses. She carried an oxygen tank. She had tried multiple times to stop. She'd once gone to a residential program to stop smoking, and she had not been able to stop. And when I first met her, she was very defensive. And um, I'm searching for the words how best to describe this. She had more than a chip on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And she came in the door saying, I know what you're going to say. I'm really tired of you judgmental nurses. You're going to treat me like I'm an idiot. Like, I don't know that smoking is bad for me. I will not tolerate you wagging your finger in my face about any of this. I mean, it was that was like how she came in the door. Wow. And I said to her, Oh, Miss Fontana, I have been waiting for you for a very long time. 
you are so clearly saying all the things that we absolutely do not want to do in this program. Would you please come and really watch? And if one of those things happen, as soon as you see it happening, let us know right away. You are the perfect candidate for this job. So she was kind of taken aback, but that got her interested in being part of the program, which was, as it is now, a four-week program. And she really followed the steps. She did everything and she watched me like a hawk. She was ready to like, there you go, wagging your finger in my face, right? Um, and she took herself by surprise. By the end of the four weeks, she had stopped smoking. Wow. And she came to our weekly relapse prevention support group pretty regularly. She did relapse once for a few weeks, but then stopped and didn't smoke again for the rest of her life. When she died, she left us a sizable donation and asked us to use it to, I think in her words were, I want this money to be used to help as many people as possible get the treatment and care that I got. So it then became the Fontana Tobacco Treatment Center. And it's thanks to her that we can provide the services that we do or the group services that we do free of charge, give people a really wonderful workbook for free um, and have continued to give other people the care that she got. Uh, so that's kind of a brief history of the institutions. And that's, that is a really wonderful story, how someone who's obviously asking for help, but at the same time, you know, drawing the line in the sand saying, but you can't be treating me like everyone else because she failed so many times. Where do you feel um, like your program differs from other programs where she would get that information or feel that way, you know, seeking what was makes your program so successful? Well, we really do emphasize a non-judgmental support. And we try to tailor the program to the people who happen to be in a particular group. We don't bombard people with a lot of medical information because we assume that most people have a lot of it already. Most people already know that smoking can cause lung cancer. They don't need to be told that. Um, so we really try to keep it to information that they may not already have. Um, another really unique feature of our program is in the second week of the class, a pharmacist, a licensed pharmacist comes to the class. And this is somebody who's also a tobacco treatment specialist and presents all the current medications that are available for people who want to use them for stopping smoking. Um, how And one of the things that Jeannie found out there, which most people even today don't necessarily know, is that using more than one medication is much better than just using one, which she had never heard of. And that I think was key to one of the keys to her success that she used both the patch and the Nicotrol inhaler. Um, so she had like long acting nicotine on board and then she had something else to use for breakthrough urges. And that was one of the real important features that she hadn't been informed about before she came to our class. So that's another, I think the, the pharmacy element is pretty unique 
and our pharmacist makes herself available to participants and to participants' um, providers for any questions around um, the medications and if there's any contraindications or things like that. Um, another unique feature, I think, of our class, of our program, is that we do have the weekly drop-in support group, which is facilitated at this point by myself and my co-facilitator, who is a physician's assistant. So people have access to ongoing medical support, and we can help people make adjustments in their medications as needed. Plus what you and I had talked about earlier briefly, that invaluable support of other people who were addressing the same issue at the same time. Awesome. So in your first week of your program, what's addressed? What are you saying? Like, what is your approach to get people on board and excited to continue for the four weeks? Well, one of the things that we do is we introduce um, an understanding of tobacco or nicotine dependence as a chronic relapsing disease. And we make it really clear that even though you might have judgments of yourself, being addicted to cigarettes is not a moral problem. It's no reflection on your character. It doesn't mean you're less intelligent than anybody else. Any more than if you have um, diabetes or asthma or something like that. Um, and we talk about how Many people will say it's all in my head as kind of a dismissive thing, right? Um, and acknowledge that, yes, indeed, it's in our head. Nicotine has a profound effect on certain structures in the brain, and it makes it really hard to resist once you become habituated to it. So um, we also emphasize in the first class and kind of continue it throughout that one of the practices we strongly recommend is being kind to yourself. That anybody who's been a smoker has a little voice in the head that's constantly telling them how they're weak or they're stupid or they shouldn't be doing this. And we talk about how that undermines the potential for success. That it's not something that's gonna help them move through the process more quickly and that it's that it's um, a practice that this negative self-talk is pandemic in our culture it's not just about smoking but um if you're trying to change something and you keep berating yourself it's going to make it harder if not impossible so we talk about that um in terms of medically, we, one of the things that we talk about is carbon monoxide. Many people know what carbon monoxide is and that they have carbon monoxide monitors or alarms in their homes, but they're not necessarily aware that one of the big risks of smoking is carbon monoxide. And the more you smoke or the more aggressively you smoke, the greater the level of carbon monoxide. When we met in person, which we don't right now, we still meet on Zoom, we would do a carbon monoxide reading on anybody who wanted it. And um, a carbon, a normal carbon, carbon monoxide level is six parts per million. 
It's like you and I walking around the city are exposed to carbon monoxide from exhaust and so on and so forth. So it's not abnormal to have some level of carbon monoxide in your blood, but anything above six parts per million in a smoker is attributed to the carbon monoxide in smoking. And I've had people who've gone up past 60 parts per million. Wow. And you can imagine how having a, a load of carbon monoxide means you're getting that much less oxygen contributes to shortness of breath, that contributes to poor perfusion in the tissues, you know, all the different kinds of things, muscle cramps. And so the first class we would do a carbon monoxide reading. And then after the participant stopped smoking, within a day or more of that, we do it again. And it's a very powerful motivational tool because somebody's at 30 and then they're down to five. It's like, whoa, I've made a big difference that I can actually see, right? Mm. Um, so that's another thing that we talk about in terms of the medical wow. part of our of our program. Wow. And how is that test administered? Um, there's a little machine, a battery operated machine with a mouthpiece and you take in a deep breath and then you blow as long and as hard as you can into the okay. machine. Okay. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. Oh my goodness, I love this. And I would just like to jump back to the the piece to the negative self-talk because I think what we found is um, that is, like you said, it's pandemic, even for people who are struggling with their weight or anybody, anybody. Um, and we've uh, really been engaging in, you know, reprogramming and understanding positive self-talk and really uh, focusing in. There's a, a Dr. Um, Shad Helmstetter who um, I just interviewed and he wrote this book called What to Say When You're Talking to Yourself. And it was, it's been, it's been fascinating, but I love to just, you know, if you dive a little deeper into that, like what are the common things people tell you that they're saying to themselves if they do share that? And then how do you help them address that? Like how, you know, it's one thing to be mindful of the issue. It's another to have some type of intervention or, you know, a, a tool kit to address it. How do you address it? Well, one of the um, things that we focus on in each of the four weeks is some aspect of motivation, of self-motivation. And in the first week, we talk about the difference between fear-based and desire-based motivation. Um, I could speak for myself that when I was a smoker, I used a lot of fear-based motivation to try to get myself to change. Oh, you're going to make yourself sick. Uh, oh, you're a bad mother. You're a terrible nurse. What's wrong with you? You're smoking. You know that's bad for you. Um, I was working on an oncology unit, so I had plenty of opportunities to see some of the risks that I was taking. And I was always in an atmosphere of fear because it was just there all the time. Also afraid of sooner or later, I'm going to have to stop. And what's that going to be like? So um, it's like the donkey and the stick. We talk about, we use that as, as a metaphor, right? If you get behind a donkey, and most people have some sense of how this works. You get behind a donkey and you're like hitting it with a stick, trying to get it to go forward. It puts its feet in. It's like going to resist whatever it is you try to make it, you make it do. Um, 
On the other side, desire-based motivation, which is more like the donkey and the carrot, um, we, I kind of discovered this for myself when I was stopping. I tried stopping so many times and I decided to like look at what are the things that I like the least that are most oppressive to me about smoking. And the two things were what I've just described, being afraid and having low self-esteem because I'm a nurse and I'm a mother and I'm a smoker and that just didn't go well. So I thought, well, when I stop, what will happen? Oh, I'll be fearless and I'll be proud. And I knew physically, you know, like, oh God, I feel so bad about myself and I'm scared. And, you know, just like you can bring that into your body, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, the contrast of, wow, I'm really proud and strong. So 30 days before my stop date, and when I stopped, there weren't any medications or anything. So it was all whatever I was doing in my mind. I had this little mantra, I'm smoke-free, fearless, and proud. And I wasn't smoke-free yet, but I said it every morning as I was waking up, every night as I went to sleep. I wrote it because I knew that when you write things down, you use both sides of your brain. I wrote it. I had a little post-its all over. And what I experienced when I, on my day that I stopped, and of course, the urge to smoke came up, Right behind it came those words that I had been telling to myself for 30 days, but carrying with them the medicine of all the kinesthetic um, information I had been programming into my body. So it was like medicine, right? Um, so we do some exercises to, we have a list in the workbook where people start to experiment with their motivations, their want-to motivations. And to imagine getting pulled forward by, I'm going to have more money. I'm, I'm breathing better. I feel more proud in my family. Whatever it might be, really helping people to get clarity. And sometimes it's easier to find what your want-to motivations are by going through what you don't like, which is what my experience had been. But um, And we encourage people to write their own mantra and begin working with that. Um, and to just also pay more attention to what's the chatter in their minds, because our experience with addiction is, it's like, you really wanna do it without thinking about it. You, want, you don't wanna to bring too much awareness to it. Um, but to pay attention, and when you pick up on the inevitable trash talk, turn it around, but also don't punish yourself for it, right? Because everybody has it about something. Everybody is using very ineffective ways of trying to elicit important changes in their life. So much wisdom here that you just said. And I think the one thing that I see that has worked with, for example, I started this podcast because I wanted to understand how people could lose weight or change dramatically these lifestyles, it seemed like overnight, but I'm sure there was this process of, you know, reprogramming and speaking differently. But the really important thing that I think I hear you say is that you were speaking in like you were already there, right? So you were saying in the present tense, I am here versus the forward-looking tense of I will or I want, you were like, I am. 
Yeah. And that really changed your belief so that when you were there and ready on your quit date, you were already believing you were there. And you're just like, yeah, I'm just aligning my habits, my actions with my belief of who exactly. I am. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh man, that's so powerful. I wish people understood the power of their minds is just so phenomenal. Truly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, it's like deep breathing. It's free. And so we don't value it enough in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's funny. Uh, my my husband's always told me, he goes, you're such a, you're, I'm always, I would sigh whenever I was stressed. I would, you know, it was just like a natural thing. I think yeah. I must have carried yeah. from childhood. And he goes, I always know when you're stressed, when you're sighing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, then I became, uh, you know, very aware of my own breathing. I was like, you could feel it, it was my, my body's way of dealing with tension. So it's, it's been really fascinating. So that's week one, which is phenomenal. And then week two, you said you're bringing in the pharmacist and they're understanding that there's medications that can help, which again, I think is very pivotal to understand there are, there are things to help you get through the yes. tough times. It doesn't mean you're going to be on medications forever. Exactly. And it's it's a tool to help you to the next thing. And we're certainly exploring that in um potentially embracing all that with, you know, medications and weight loss or medications and whatever. You know, it's it's a we can't be afraid to engage with where we're at in, in modern medicine and, and utilize those tools for a period of time to help you get to the next place. You know, why not open up a few gates where you don't have to knock down the wall, but we can just open the door, right? Right, right. Well, one of, as long as we're speaking about um, medication, Lori, and I also yeah. want to tell you another motivation thing about the second week, but one of the... Um, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a complaint, but I don't have a better word for it right now, that people will express, well, why do you have me using a nicotine patch or nicotine gum? I thought I'm supposed to be getting off nicotine, right? Mm. Um, so there's some confusion about that. And I think it's important for people to know that nicotine in cigarettes and vape is dirty. It's got all kinds of other, I mean, even if you have so-called organic cigarettes, which people mistakenly think are better than other ones, they're not. Um, you still have all the tars that are carcinogenic. You, you have all the things that are naturally in tobacco that once you let some fire to it are toxic, right? right. Um, the medications in patch and gum and all of that are pharmaceutical grade. They're clean nicotine. They also don't get to your brain as quickly. Inhaling a cigarette or a vape is a much more powerful delivery of the drug. It takes about five heartbeats to get from your lips to your brain. Wow. So, and that's another reason why it's so addictive. It's like immediate, right? Wow. Um, and with a patch, it's got to get through your you know, your skin and it goes into your venous circulation where the um, inhaled nicotine gets into the arterial circulation. So it's not addictive um, the way in which cigarettes could be. Mm. So if people have a concern about that, they should. And you're also, you know, working towards, you can ease down. So typically how patches work, you have a step down over a period exactly. of time. Yeah. And you're getting rid of the, the hand, this, this motion, this um, habit of, you know, putting, mm -hmm. holding something, um, which I'm curious, what do you do to help people 
you know, the hand thing. Cause I'm sure, you know, like I've had patients who quit smoking rub rocks, they'll literally rub it or they have a rubber band around their wrist and they move it. Or what, what do you use to kind of just that habit of moving, doing something to their hand or chewing on something? Yeah, well, there are lots of things that you can use. Um, for some people, they want to maintain that for through the withdrawal period. So they might use the Nicotrol inhaler, mm. which is, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nicotrol mm -hmm. inhaler. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a misnomer because it's not like an asthma inhaler or something like that, but the little, the little mouthpiece that you puff on. Um, and that sometimes helps people um, who are getting off of the cigarettes. We'll have people cut straws to the size of a cigarette and do deep breathing through the straw. Hmm. Or flavored toothpicks is another popular option. Tea tree oil or something that kind of wakes up your mouth, that gives your mouth a, a not a bland experience, like the way cigarettes can give you a zing in the mouth. Hmm. Things like that. Also snacks, we encourage people to cut up ahead of time things like celery or carrots, things like that, that you can um, eat without having to be concerned about gaining any weight, mm -hmm. things, things like that. Gum, I'm assume, assume some type, there's even nicotine gums. I don't know if those are very- Yeah, the gum, the gum, if people are used to chewing gum, we sometimes caution them on the nicotine gum because it's not really gum. Mm, and people true. will not read the box and will say did you read the box and i don't read the box i know how to chew gum it's like <laughs> it's really again another misnomer because with the gum you want to chew it slowly until you feel a tingling sensation or you start to have the flavor of the gum then you stop chewing and you park it between your cheek and your and your jaw and it gets okay. absorbed the nicotine gets absorbed through the tissues in the mouth slowly but if you just chew it chew it the nicotine will go to your stomach it'll be neutralized it won't give you any relief from the urges you'll get hiccups and nausea and come and tell us the gum doesn't work right <laughs> there you go there yeah. you, and this is where we're talking to you so this is fantastic so those are the first few weeks. I want to get back because you mentioned vaping here in a minute, but I just want to go, is there, you know, what is the things in week threes and, and four that you would feel are important to highlight with your program and make it successful? Well, there's one thing I still wanted to say about week two in okay. terms of the motivational. Um, we go through something that's called the journey of change hmm. and people will be able to see this on um or in our workbook if they access our site. Um, but it, it basically is, is like a map and it outlines, this is what you can expect with any change. And we'll talk about it in terms of, you know, if you moved to a different town or got married or um, divorced or got a new job, there's a, a process that gets initiated between when there is that on onset of the end of something and then moving through various stages until you get to the place where you're no longer a smoker who isn't smoking, you're somebody for whom smoking isn't really relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so we map that out and give people a good description of each of the different stages in that process. 
so that they can see also visually the benefit of continuing to move forward. As soon as you move back, you're making the journey longer, right? You're, mm. you're going over a path you've already been on. The shortest distance is to just keep going. And there's certain places that are likely to be more uncomfortable than others. One of them being um, what we call creative confusion, which is a lot of ups and downs where you're, you know, you have this sense of confusion because you've always had cigarettes to kind of give structure to your day, what to expect, what you're doing when, what you do with eating, what you do with talking on the phone. That's removed and it's like disorienting, right? Mm. It's like confusing. So it's confusing in that way. Um, but it's creative confusion in that you're now being called on to learn new behaviors to deal with things that you used to use cigarettes to deal with. Oh, I'm really angry. I'm not gonna have a cigarette. How am I gonna process this anger? I'm bored. I'm not gonna have a cigarette. What, what does this boredom mean? So we talk about ways to address those kinds of things that tend to come up during this part of the journey that we call the the creative confusion, ups and downs. Oh, this is easy. Oh, wow, this is really hard. You know, all of that contrast. Mm. What else in the journey of change um, is some of the, um, the pit stops or things that people should expect? Well, the beginning is, um, we have the, the picture of it is kind of like a canyon. You're on this ledge, then you come down, and then you go through the creative confusion, and then you're on the rebuilding side. But in the beginning, um, you go through something called denial and decline. Hmm. And um, something has happened that made you think, I need to stop smoking. But maybe I could just smoke on the weekends. Or what if I just had one once a week or you know you're you're kind of trying to bargain your way back up to the old way um and it's a place where denial stories are really powerful right the things that you tell yourself to make it okay to smoke well I don't smoke that much well my grandmother smoked and lived to 104 and you know all that so getting familiar with what are the stories that you tell yourself that make it easier for, for you to hold on to the old behavior, right? And then talking about some ways of letting some of that go. Um, right after denial and decline is um, letting go, actually. Like, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to go for it, right? You let go, and then you get into the creative confusion. And then at a certain point, there's something that we call illumination where you're getting it. It's like, it's not over yet, but I can see one urge at a time. Like, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to see how this works. I can do this. I've got it down. And then at a certain point, you're in a phase of rebuilding. Maybe you're bringing back in things that you let go. I know when I stopped smoking, I had to stop beer and wine. I don't personally have an alcohol problem, but alcohol was a problem for me when I was stopping smoking. Mm. So one of the rebuilding things for me was, okay, I'm ready to have a glass of wine. And if it's a problem, I'm going to stop again. But, you know, things like that. And then eventually you get up to what we call the new way, which is, as I described before, 
you're now smoking isn't relevant to you anymore. You're not having to think about it. And it takes about a year to go from the old way all the way down mm. and through and up to the new way. Mm. So you've really just reshaped your identity in this area of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You're really, yeah. it's your journey of uh, identity change. That's, yeah. that's fabulous. Where did you get this information about the journey of change? I think that's phenomenal. It can be used in so many places. Um, and curiosity is highly peaked here when it when you start discussing I, behavior I, change. Know, I, I, I suffer from old age, lack of memory, <laughs> but um, there was a woman who, who worked with me um, on a very much earlier version of our workbook. She was a patient of the physician that I mentioned, Paul Brunetta. And she used to work for NASA. She was Ooh. like, um, not a coach, but she was an advisor for NASA. And she taught that to me. Wow, that is awesome. She came and she worked with me. She was diagnosed with lung cancer. And she wanted, to, and she'd never smoked, but her father had smoked four packs of cigarettes. So likely that was, you know, and she wanted to, make meaning out of it so she worked with me to she taught me a lot of stuff that was useful that was really oh wow that's phenomenal very cool okay that was a, a wonderful what about week three and four um week three we go into looking at the neurotransmitters mm. and getting some respect for what it is that you're doing because of how powerful the chemical thing is it's been going on in your brain right um week four we look at relapse mm. and we look at it from two generally two perspectives one from the thought progression um the ways in which a relapse happens long before you pick up whatever the substance it is mm. um that uh, you're kind of thinking well for myself i would say something like I'm okay, but if my parents die, I can imagine that I'll have to smoke, right? Mm. So I've said, you know, that's like the beginning. And we go, th we go through, um, I can even tell you, I should have it just in my, yeah, the road to cigarettes. We go through all of the different phases that lead you back to smoking. But it basically starts with that vague possibility and that possibility, if you don't say, nope, not going there, it'll create craving and that'll create fantasizing and that eventually you have the cigarette, right? Mm. And people in group are really attuned to that so they can hear it in each other. And I was like, did you, did you hear what you just said? <laughs> you said you were going to try to, you know, trying doesn't do it. It's only doing it that does it, right? Wow. So, well, that is powerful because... That again, uh, addiction, a food addiction, any addiction, this, this speaks to, you know, where anywhere we are in our lives, it's the decisions and thoughts and actions that led us to it. But you're talking about, it's really those thoughts that are setting us up for the, this in the future. And you're bringing mindfulness to those thoughts that are right. setting the domino yeah, <laughs> into yeah. effect, basically. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really powerful for people. I feel like that they must leave your program understanding and being feeling so empowered and confident of things that they've learned that they just felt they were a victim to an addiction. 
Yeah, people do. They learn a lot. The, the other piece about the relapse that we share with them, which is, I think, another feature that maybe other programs don't have. We talk about the change that happens in the brain when the brain is exposed to nicotine. Mm. We do a brief description of um, neurotransmitters and receptors and what they are. We talk about it in terms of like a lock and a key. And your front door key isn't going to fit my front door key. They're both front door keys, but they only fit in a particular lock. And the neurotransmitters are like that. And that nicotine is very similar in its um, composition to acetylcholine. So it gets into the brain through the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. And once it's there, those receptors proliferate. And that's part of why when a person who smokes a pack a day wakes up in the morning, the best cigarette is the first one in the day because those receptors don't have any nicotine in them. And you have the cigarette and it begins to fill up the receptors and say, oh, I'm ready for my day, right? Mm. Um, and so we talk about how that's a physiologic change that happens. And that part of the healing process is those receptors go back to the normal amount. Mm -hmm. But something that's key for former smokers to know they, nev they never lose the memory of that nicotine. So if I, I haven't smoked in over 40 years, but if I were to have a cigarette today, it would be nauseous. I'd be nauseous, it'd be disgusting. Be, but by the end of the week, I'd be back up to a pack a day because my brain will never forget. And that's something that some people can say, oh no, I'll never I say, you know, you can look at it that way or you can look at it. You've got a very powerful tool against that voice that comes up in your head that says, oh, you can have just one, you know. Mm, so we yeah. talk about it from the physical side and the, you know, the thought process side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that is very, very important to understand that relapse and understanding that it's, it's not a moral dilemma. It's not, you know, the shame and stuff. Cause I know you had mentioned earlier before we started just uh, people walk into your program or have already tried and they're dealing with probably a, a heavy load because I'm sure their their families are trying to get them to stop and the guilt and like you yeah. said embarrassment and hiding um, but you know helping prepare them for the relapse or the struggles or the challenges um, yeah because stre stress doesn't go away your triggers aren't going to go away right 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 amazing exactly. yeah so can we talk a little bit um, also about your book and then I also want to get into the vaping. Um, sure. I, I feel it's an important yeah. message, but you also have a book. So if people want to uh, read the book or maybe give the book to someone who they know is struggling with smoking or send your, you know, we'll send your um, website and everything. But can we just talk a little bit about that and what? Sure. Why you wrote it? Um, well, my co-author is the person I'm, 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 I'm probably not somebody who would typically write a book. I'm not somebody who would typically write a book. And when I was working with Paul at the general, um, well, let me back up a little bit. There is a patient, which who you'll see if you see the book or if you go onto our website. Um, Clarence Brown was one of my patients at San Francisco General when I first started working there. And it was a clinic where residents would be responsible for patients and they're only there for a half a day. 
So if that patient comes in another time of the week, the nurse that's assigned to them has to figure out how to take care of that patient. So Clarence Brown was one of those people for me. And you could have, he was a little bit of a nightmare patient. He had a lot of illnesses. He was completely non-compliant. He never came in when he had an appointment. He would show up five minutes before clinic closed, gasping for breath, demanding to be treated, wouldn't make any of the changes that could help, right? He used um, heroin, cocaine, alcohol, and cigarettes to medicate himself through the day. And um, he had heart disease, he had lung disease, he had osteoporosis from the steroids. I mean, he had a lot going on. And um, between 84 and 89, we worked on the alcohol and the cocaine and the heroin. And he was clear of those by 89. I said, okay, let's look at the cigarettes. He was really furious. I mean, he would get really very awful with me, but he would. He came to group and then he wouldn't come and then he sort of dropped in and out. But miracle of miracles, by um, 91, he had stopped smoking. And within six months, it was like a metamorphosis. This incredibly gorgeous human being emerged from behind all of that static. And a very, very powerful speaker, just a beautiful, beautiful human being. And he worked with me as a peer support in the program. And one of the women who had come through the program, an artist who was in the book, Barbara Voss, um, said, people can't find you. There's no advertisement about this, right? We didn't have a budget really. And she had a friend who was a professional photographer. And he said he would do a portrait um, of one person for us to make a poster. This was like all pro bono stuff. Did I have somebody that I would want him to take? And I said, yeah, Clarence Brown. Well, John Harding, who was a photographer, was so taken with Clarence and his charisma. He asked me, did I know any other people like this? <laughs> well, actually I do. So he and I began this project where he would photograph somebody and I would interview them. And it was a very fun project. It got me going to different parts of San Francisco that I never would have felt free to go into. Um, and by the time I met Paul, I had, I don't know, five or six portraits and, and stories to go with them. And I had them Xeroxed and I handed them out to my patients and I showed it to Paul. He said, what are you doing with this? I said, well, I share them with people. No, 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 this is a book. You have to read them. So that's how the book started. Oh, it was Paul's idea. That is awesome. I, and I feel like stories people can relate um, but what a powerful story about Clarence. My goodness. Yeah, one of the photographs, I, now I have several of them, but one of the photographs I have of him, in those days we had paper medical records. Yeah. And this was his idea. He said, you should take a picture of me with my medical records for five years before I stopped smoking and five years after, yeah. which we did. And that's, it's like the five years before, I can't even show them on the screen. I mean, it's phenomenal how much suffering went in. He was intubated eight times before he ever stopped smoking. 
Oh my heaven. Come to the hospital in an ambulance 12 times a year. I mean, this was, oh. you know, and then five years after, it was still a pretty hefty pile, but right. not even a quarter of size of the one before. Oh so, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But that's, that's how the book started. That's phenomenal. It's oh my goodness. Stuff. Well, you were the, the, the uh spark for his idea for yeah. the book so yeah. you you had done the hard work um so let's dive into vaping right because vaping is kind of you know where people are going if they're wanting to quit and they don't think there's any issues but there actually is can you you know give us a broad sense of what the difficulties and problems are with vaping and what you're seeing from people who are trying to stop well um vaping is unregulated so it's really unclear what you're getting. You know, there's so many different brands, there's so many different options for vaping. And I know from, um, there's a lot of research that gets done at UCSF and they've researched this in the lab and other ways that um, a product that says it has no nicotine in it sometimes does. Um, it's just not reliable. And there are also um, chemicals in vape to give it a taste, to give it, you know, easy and um, down the throat and that are carcinogenic. Um, and there's stuff in there that we don't even know about, right? So generally, I'd say um, my feeling, and I'm not alone with this, is that, yeah, vapes are probably less dangerous than cigarettes, but they're not safe. And um, on the addictive side of it, what we've seen, which is, it's heartbreaking because, you know, I've been doing this work for 45, 50 years. So I've seen like what's happened with cigarettes and all the deception and the thousands and thousands of people who've lost their lives. And now to see this vape thing starting, um, we get young people who call us and they're in their early 20s, for example, this is a, a typical person who calls us for help and they've been vaping since they were in middle school. And it's very possible to vape all day because you can hide it. It's not like it's obvious the way in which you couldn't light up a cigarette in your classroom, but you can go to the bathroom and vape with your friends and it, it's very easy to do chronically all day long. So we get people who typically in the tech industry who have high pressure jobs and um, need to be productive. And they say, I, I start vaping before I get out of bed in the morning and I vape all day long. And I can't imagine being able to do my work without it. Um, I've not been able to stop. I've not been able to cut down. Then by the end of the day, I need to do something to come down. So then I start vaping marijuana. So they're, they're trapped. They're trapped. Mm -hmm. So, wow. So they're literally, it's a continuous all day long. Um, I do recall some research about popcorn lung, um, similar effects. Yeah. Do you, are you are you familiar with that research? If you could share. Well, I just is. remember, and, and I think that what they determined was that um, 
that was from a vape that had certain oils in it and that was mm. probably from vaping marijuana. Mm. Wow. Okay. So um, do the, the people who are vaping and, and try to enter your program, are they having the same success of quitting? Or are you finding that they relapse more or struggling? Where, where do you find that they um, I would say that we don't really have enough data yet. We don't mm -hmm. have enough people. That a lot of what we've been doing is talking to people on the phone okay. um, who call in and who want help. Um, we have had, like through COVID, there were, I remember one young person, he was in high school and he had a very hefty vape habit. And then COVID happened and he wasn't going to school and he didn't have access. And he got really scared because of what he was experiencing. And so he said something to his parents, which is not something that you could rely on with teenagers, right? And his parents sent him to us and he went through the program and he was successful in stopping. Um, it was it was hard, but I think a lot of people, are, there's like vaping is on the climb again because people are out and about more, kids are back in school. Mm, wow. What is, the, what is the percentage of people who vape? Do you know any of the, is like 20% of Americans? I'm sorry, okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Because then what is it for smoking? Is it 20% or something around there? Oh, in the Bay Area, it's more down like 10 to 12%. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. across the United States, are you familiar with the smoking statistics there, Bunny Chance? I should be, but I'm not today. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I, I think from what I last read was like 20%, because it was high as, I'm sure it was much higher after World oh, War yeah. II and yeah. 50s. <laughs> Um, we were watching a movie um, last night and it was set in 1957 and it was just so funny one of the scenes was um, they were on an airplane and the the passengers just lit up and I was like that's just so such a bizarre thought to me um, yeah but yeah I guess the other thing that was vaping is that it's easy to do anywhere it's not like you know right. you're you have right. to go outside or <laughs> You yeah. don't have that retaining smell. Um, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I think that a lot of people's kids are vaping, and the people have no idea. Wow, that's that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Mm -mm -mm. Ah, you know, just like you, you you tackle and start conquering one problem, and another one, it's like it's just the Pandora's box. It just, it just yeah. never ending. Oh, again, we're working on developing a, a program at UCSF. Work, um, in conjunction with the um, adolescent medicine mm. that helps, you know, to specifically target young people who want some help. Who start babies. Yeah. Do you have any sense as to why people even start vaping? Because it's not like there's, you know, if they're if they're starting vaping straight out instead of cigarette smoking, is it just the cool thing to do? Or? It's cool to do. We don't think it's a problem. Mm. you can get hooked I mean you know you just try it and you can get hooked pretty quickly um I know that for me in my day there was a lot of bonding that went on mm. with smoking and when I think about these kids these middle school kids getting together in the bathroom you know 
it's like you want to be cool right you're walking in mm. and saying oh here try this mm. sure you're gonna try it mm. wow it almost seems like uh, you have to do a put people through when they're entering school a pat down and checking everything and yeah. taking <laughs> confiscating a, the vape oh my gosh um wow well this has been a phenomenal conversation and i really have learned a lot and I really want to say thank you one for you know joining us on the podcast but all your work I mean I just can't even imagine not only the lives you saved with your work but just the quality of life that has improved like you know Clarence is a perfect example of that well I think that's one of the things you know when people realize how many years I've been doing this aren't you bored doesn't it get tiring no I mean for one thing and you get into intimacy right away. People are telling you things that are not superficial, but they're really things that are close to the core, right? Which is, I think, valuable and interesting. Um, and then smoking takes up so much room for most smokers' lives in their daily life that you remove it. Change happens. It's not mm. just the smoking goes. Other stuff comes in, right, mm. to, to move into that space. And it's very often stunning and, and inspiring, right? May I tell you one more story? Yes. Just no, love stories. Love stories. About that. There was a man who came to the program. This was years ago. And he worked in IT um, for the city, he worked for the city of San Francisco. So he was like all over the place dealing with people's computer problems. And then he would come home at the end of the day and sit on his sofa. This was his description, sit on the sofa, drink beer and soda and eat potato chips and watch TV and smoke. That's like what he did. Right. And so he came to group with a number of health issues and, um, really he, he said he didn't want to stop I think a lot of people say they don't want to stop because they fear they can't right but I don't want to do this I don't want to be here um but he did put into practice the things that we were talking about and he stopped smoking and he became a bear he was really you know like grumbly I hate this whatever and I don't know what inspired me to say this I've never said it to anybody else and I hadn't said it to anybody before him I said do you think you could find a way to make this fun? <laughs> uh, and he lived down by the, the beach in San Francisco. And he'd never been to the beach. It was something he was always going to do. But he'd never, he'd always just been on his sofa with his potato chips and his cigarettes. So he thought, I'll, I'll go to the beach. He went to the beach. The beach was amazing. Long story short, within two months, he was walking from San Francisco down to Pacifica on the beach, back and forth, these long, long walks. He started to feel better, and he decided to start exploring California. He started going to parks. He was like seeing things he'd never seen before. So he got a camera and began taking pictures beautiful pictures he would come and he would have like 500 pictures to show me in a slideshow beautiful beautiful pictures he transformed into this hiker right hiker Ooh. photographer from the couch potato right <laughs> never could have predicted that wow wow i mean this is i agree i you know your work and my work is very similar and 
I consider it the antidote to burnout is when you really can see true healing transformations occur. Yeah. It's just, it's a, I, I, I called it because, you know, of course I'm pushing a, a whole food plant-based diet is one of my, my things. I, I tell people, I was like, listen, I have a veggie crack addiction. I'm going to have you eat more vegetables. You get better. And then I get to see you better. And so we get this dopamine cycle going. And so we just need to keep that going, please. You know, I need you to, I need you to be my, uh, my veggie dealer. So it's really <laughs> fun. So it's uh yeah, they crack up over that. And, you know, it's just, a different way of, of patients. I don't think, you know, right now with our current healthcare system, we're such a sick care system, right? And we just, yeah. it's, it's, it's an unfortunate thing, right? We, we don't focus on the health and patients don't know anything. They just know that they go to the doctor, they get more prescriptions or an intervention and yeah. shoot out the door with, oh, go lose weight, but never, or right. oh, go stop smoking, but they don't give them the tools and the resources um, yeah. for many reasons. It's not necessarily the, the doc's fault, but yeah. So this is wonderful. I, I can't wait to um, send people your way and I'm hoping that you'll, you'll have many more success stories. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for this time where I really enjoyed it. Thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe and alert buttons so you don't miss out on any of the amazing content we're working so hard to provide you. We upload a new episode of Health & Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus every Friday. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find us on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. If you're looking for amazing resources to help you start and sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, or anything wellness, we got you covered there too. Because at Mora, we actually provide physician-led support groups to help people live happier, healthier lives free of metabolic disease. Don't forget to check out our website at mora.com. And thanks again for watching.